Coming up on this episode of Inside the Oscars. I don't know what it's like to get on stage and to say I might die after I sing this, but I felt that when I was on set, you know. Best Actress nominee Andra Day is opening up about her portrayal of her idol in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Plus, the membership of the Academy, oh, it's changing, and it's been a long time coming. This change could elevate stories and storytellers that might have otherwise been overlooked. You know, what does it mean when we have young black girls from the hood being told you're worthy, your story matters? Hey, everybody, it's Ginger Z here. Thank you so much for listening to this second episode of Inside the Oscars. We're all counting down to Hollywood's biggest night. And in case you forgot, that's April 25th, a little later this year. And if you need a refresher you know, of what's coming up, the movies that are out there, and you missed the first episode. You also missed Chris Connolly eerily knowing so much about me. Okay, not really. But anyway, he's just such an encyclopedia of film knowledge and so easy to listen to. So please, if you didn't hear that one, go grab it. But I want to introduce you on this episode to Kelly Carter. She is a senior entertainment writer at The Undefeated. Hey! Kelly... I am so happy that now I know a fellow Michigander and is part of the, the ABC and now GMA family. Hey, hey, GMA <laughs> Pop News. You know a lot more than I do, so I'm going to defer to you about a lot of this. But I wanted to speak to you on this episode for many reasons. I think I like to start with the beginning of my film and television love, and that would be as a child, obviously. And Twister as I may have expressed to you and many other people, is the first time I saw an image of somebody who I thought I could be. you got to get further ahead of it. I know what I'm doing. Cut across the field, Bill. I knew I loved weather. I didn't know that a woman could be a badass scientist leading the charge on a storm chase. And then I saw Helen Hunt. And we talk about representation matters, and I know that that is not meant for me, but I do see it that the imaging of... Hollywood, of the Oscars, it means a lot. Right. You know, it's funny when I think about really my introduction to film, the first movie I remember my parents taking me to see was Annie. I loved it so much. I loved all the singing (laughs) and dancing. But the first movie that I remember my parents taking me to that I felt seen in was Spike Lee's School Days. Now, I do not know how many of you will cross the burning sands to the oasis of Gamma, Phi Gamma, but I do know that there is no room for any pretenders. I felt like that was the first film as a kid that I saw that I saw not only images of what myself and my family looked like reflected, but also the culture that was important to me. My dad attended a historically black college university and he pledged a fraternity and we went back to his homecoming every year. And so to see this film that is set during homecoming weekend during HBCU that also talked about um, skin coloring variations in the Mm African-American community, empowerments, divesting in apartheid. Like these were, these were things that we were talking about at our dinner table. And I feel like when I think about my trajectory as someone who covers Hollywood, that's probably why the stories that I mostly write about, talk about, report about have something to do with intersectionality. And this was kind of surprising to me. The Oscars so, so white, started in 2015 and I I feel like it was not as long ago but that's a that's a long time ago six years of Oscars still white is that the new hashtag I mean it's not true because we we have finally made it not so white but (laughs) it feels more like 
Oscar so progressive question mark. Got it. You know, like that to me is what it kind of feels like in, in 2021. Like it feels like there's a toe dip mm-hmm. that is worthy of talking about. And it's one of those things where you can't get comfortable because the second you get comfortable, it's when everything reverts back to a place that I don't think any of us want to want to go back to, mm-hmm. you know, and and truly this is only only the beginning, like six years after a very viral hashtag that started to make these changes mm-hmm. in, in Hollywood and specifically with the Academy. And when you talk about Chadwick Boseman being overlooked in 2015, and that's, you know, both the sad and beautiful part is, is I anticipate he has to win. I mean, and it is awful that he didn't get to see that, but he knows he's a part of that legacy. For actor in a leading role, the Actors Branch members nominate Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I can say yes sir, to whoever I please. What you got to do with it? I know how to handle white folks. I've been handling them for 32 years. Now you gonna tell me how to do it? Bigger than, I think, awards themselves, I think Chadwick Boseman understood why representation was so important. Certainly he was very intentional with the roles that he said yes to, but mm-hmm. also I think that he understood what he was doing was bigger than himself. I mean, we obviously, there's almost no one who hasn't seen Black Panther, for example. (laughs) If you've seen no other Chadwick Boseman movie, you've seen that movie. And I think, you know, while he was alive, he definitely got to experience being awarded because of that role, being, you know, being seen in a way that a lot of Black talent may not get to be seen mm-hmm. by, by way of being the king. I am not king of old people. I am king of Wakanda. Being the king, bringing to life this, you know, this superhero, this black superhero. And I, I think, you know, it's important to note that. But I'm also really happy that as we kind of bookend his career as a live action actor, that it probably is going to close out with the biggest honor in Hollywood. And I feel like that's probably the biggest sure shot of this season is that Chadwick Boseman wins an Academy Award, and rightly so. To to know that and to know it could be and likely will be awarded makes my heart warm for his family, I think, too. Uh, because on the end of it, he's just another human being, you know, at the at the end. And I think that's what made him as humble and wonderful. Every time we had him on the show, it was like... Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, okay. A really good dude. Really good <laughs> um, dude. <laughs> um, I never really thought about how's the academy made up? How is it chosen? How is it who's in it? Who's voting? I don't know. I just always heard and thanks to the academy. Like, who are those people? Yeah. But apparently they have also been extremely white. We know that. We do. But they but they committed to to doubling the number of women and their diversity in members. So my question, though, was do how do we know and do we know that those numbers are achieved? Most of, of the membership uh, is in anonymity. But because every year the Academy announces the, the freshmen, you know, who they're inviting to join, we, we are now getting a, a bigger picture of what that membership base looks like. We don't really know what it looked like before, but now we have a better idea of who's invited. And what is, I think what is most interesting is every year when they roll out who's invited, there are so many people on that list where you're like, so wait, they haven't been in the Academy 
this entire time. Like this person has been a part of our cinematic lives for several decades and they're just now, you know, getting the invite. But but I think yeah. what we are seeing every time we see all of the people that are invited is we are seeing a really nice representation of diversity and we're seeing a nice representation of gender, um, which yeah. apparently was not the case before it was called to the attention of the Academy. I was thinking about how to do this podcast and we have a book uh, for my three and five-year-old that's just a book of presidents for kids. Mm. And at the end, it's just pictures of all the presidents up through Obama. Mm -hmm. And my son said, there's only one black guy? (laughs) And I said, yes, they always say what they see. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hmm. And then he said, where are the girls? And I was like, right. About that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> 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 <Huh>. okay. exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's get back to why things are progressing, because now we see 70 women received a total of 76 nominations. Yeah. That was a record for this year. Yeah. A record nine people of color have earned nominations for acting roles. Which, can we also say, Viola Davis has made history. She is now the most um, nominated black a female actor um, with with this nomination for Ma Rainey's. And now I think she spent so much of her career being called the the black Meryl Streep. I think now we can call Meryl Streep the uh, the white Viola Davis, which, yes. is, which is kind of fun. <laughs> and I bet Meryl Streep would take that I and think she she's would. so happy with it. Uh, it's very difficult for me to say, okay, now go up against Viola Davis. <laughs> but I thought that Andrew Day was just, life-changing are people going to start knowing andra day not just from and now rise up (laughs) she went all the places that i think voters love to see an actor go through and she made herself exceptionally vulnerable which is very very difficult to do in her embracing of this role and Mm -hmm. but she was untested as an actor because she hadn't acted before, you know, but this was someone who was completely 1 million percent inspired by Billie Holiday. So much so that her name, her stage name is, mm-hmm. is, you know, it's from Lady Day. It's from Billie Holiday. And so what is so interesting about it is this movie was directed by Lee Daniels and they both were kind of forced to meet with one another and she didn't want to do the movie and Lee didn't want her to do the movie. But thankfully, at some point, they both said, this is right for me. And, and Lee said, she is, she is my Billie Holiday. Miss Holiday, you want to clear your name, right? Get us off your case and you'll never see us again. You think I'm going to stop singing that song? Your grandkids will be singing Strange Fruit. There is nothing like embodying someone with such legacy and getting nominated and you spoke with her yeah i i did you know i asked her if this acknowledgement felt very validating because this was her first time out i mean yeah you know i think what's the what's the right word the word that i keep using is aligned you know what i mean alignment that's how it really feels it feels like i'm just grateful to god because I mean, literally, it was him who told me, like, um, like I'm going to cause you to do an act of great faith. And I was like, oh, crap. Can't we do another one? Like, <laughs> you know, I was, and I think back to trying to get out of it and trying to self-sabotage. And that's my tendency. And he used this role in Billie Holiday's fierce spirit, Lee's fearlessness, my cast, my co-stars to work, you know, a good bit of that out of me to work out this whole self-sabotaging 
imposter syndrome thing out of me. So I feel Mm -hmm. grateful and I feel aligned and I'm excited for just, I don't know, there's the culture moving forward, you know? (laughs) You know, last we talked, you shared uh, with me that you kept turning this role down. And at the time that communicated to me that you really had this great respect for Billie Holiday's artistry and you wanted to make sure that it was done right. What was the initial blocker? And then what was the deciding factor for you to say yes? Mm. I, um, the initial block was terror. <laughs> I was like so scared. I was, I just, I was like, nope. Why would we throw me into something that we can all be sure I'm going to be terrible at? <laughs> B, why would we remake Lady Sings the Blues when Diana Ross killed it? Who the hell is going to, re- why would we retouch that? I don't even want anyone to. And then C, I'm a huge Billie Holiday fan. Like, why well, don't, now I'm going to be a stain on her legacy. Like that's three strikes. This is out. You know what I mean? I was like, we're done. <laughs> but I met with Lee. I met with Lee and I, I'm, and I met his heart. You know what I mean? I met his passion for this story. I could see in Lee that he had a chip on his shoulder. He felt slighted by the fact that he never knew this story of Billie Holiday's life. And he fancies himself someone who is very aware, right, of Black stories and our history. Um, Mm. And so it was really finding out that um, the script would actually be vindicating her legacy. We'd be talking about her singing Strange Fruit in defiance of the government, integrating audiences, her as truly the great godmother of civil rights, you know what I mean, that she was, um, at the reinvigorated civil rights movement. Silent trees. Get her off that stage. They're strange fruit. That's what made me, and meeting Lee and his passion and his dedication and that chip on his shoulder, you know, um, that's what made me say yes to the audition. Now, even in the audition, I was like, I'm going to just go through these motions, but the reality is we're not going to do this. But it was when I, I read a scripture that was um, about Peter walking on water. And it was the first time I'd read that scripture and noticed that he asked to be caused to do an act of great faith. And that's why I was like, oh man, I think this is my walking on water moment. <laughs> so I was like, oh, like, oh crap. Drowning is a terrible way to go out. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm so grateful that I did, that Lee and I both got over our fear of me doing it. And that not really got over, but we just walked through it together and, um, and trusted each other. I had to fully trust him. I had to fully trust my cast, you know. Mm. You know, several of your contemporaries who are also up for Academy Awards share this connective tissue of representing uglier periods of American history. Mm -hmm. The assassination of Fred Hampton is a story, Ma Rainey, and of course you bringing to life this relatively unknown story about Billie Holiday. And and as you said, how she effectively gave birth to the modern uh, day civil rights movement and was targeted because of it. What do you think of these particular pieces of art getting the attention that they're getting in 2021, where a lot of these headlines still feel very familiar and very raw? Because they are. The reality is they are the full working of systems that were put in place when she was alive. You know what I'm saying? When she was making music. And, you know, post-abolition, right? You know, and in seg- segregation and, and Jim Crow and, you know, and, and, and just racial terror, uh, uh, you know, on down to the first war on drugs, right? Which was 
the war crafted, really, the, that's what people need to know, sort of the genesis of the war on drugs. It was crafted really to take Billie Holiday down, you know what I'm saying? And so, mm-hmm. um, and was really crafted to dismantle Black influence and Black leadership and pr- progress and unity. This holiday woman's causing a lot of people to think the wrong things. It's a starting gun for this so-called civil rights movement. Those lyrics provoke people. Y'all got a plan? She's a drug addict. Exactly. So I think that uh, we're seeing the subtle, right? It's not necessarily that subtle for us, but for other communities, it's subtle. Like, you know, it always seems like, oh, Black folks or people of color, LGBTQ, they're always overreacting. Like, well, it's designed for you to feel that way, right? You know what I mean? For you to think that. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're seeing here is visibility, right? It's, I don't think you can have movements like this without people being seen. Truth is starting to come to the surface. When stories like Billie Holiday's hit the TV screens, when stories like, you know, Fred Hampton hit the TV screens, people go, hold on. What else did we not know? You know what I mean? Hidden figures. What else didn't we know? Right. You know, mm-hmm. I would say when the world found out that Beethoven was African, what, why was there such an effort to make sure that black people were not seen in these spaces? And so I think what we're seeing is visibility. It's sort of like, we don't have we don't have a choice. You know what I'm saying? Like, not only yeah. are these stories worthy and the talent is worthy, we can't survive in 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 all of this darkness and all these lies. And so I think if we're gonna dismantle a system built off those things, then it needs to be injected with truth. So, you know, it's always been timely. I think other people are just starting to catch up, you know. You know, in the case of Billie Holiday, it was a song, Strange Fruit, which for those who aren't aware, is about lynching. And you were a singer before you became an actor. How did you process that someone who paved the way before you was targeted, imprisoned, and some might even make the case killed or died because, yeah, because of her art? Yeah, killed. I think we can safely say that. If it wasn't for them taking her off of the methadone or whatever, she could have survived. You know what I mean? And I think that and also them chasing her down. I mean, this woman tried to get clean, you know, and they would set her up all the time. If you could imagine being in rehab and turning over and seeing heroin on your nightstand. And that was sort of like, right, the starting off point of that. That was sort of one of the genesis of of that J. Edgar Hoover model of the seek out and the subtly destroy from within. Mm -hmm. Because you can't just kill off leaders. You have to dismantle movements. You know what I mean? And that's what he was able to do through lies and through deception and and through shaming, right? You know what I'm saying? These are um, pitting us against each other. Won't let me sing nowhere, no clubs, no money, no nothing. You gotta understand, baby, right now I'm in a situation. But you say we could beat this, Billy. I need some now. As a singer yourself and a singer who has freedom to perform the music that you want to perform, when you think about a woman being targeted for singing a very powerful song, a song, you know, not not yeah. starting a war, but singing a song. A song like, yeah. at what point did you process like that? That's really what was happening to this character oh, yeah. that you were about to embody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I didn't process it till I was on set because I've sung "Strange Fruit" before for like the Equal Justice Initiative for Brian Stevenson, what they were doing with the 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 uh, monument in, in Montgomery, Alabama. I've, I've sung it. I pre-recorded it before we got to set and did the movie. But it wasn't until I was on set that I finally felt a sense a real like visceral sense, primal even sense of urgency. And it was the first time that I hated the song. I think I understood and appreciated the song the way everybody did before. It is so powerful. It is so beautiful. It is just, it's not. When you're actually up there singing it as Billie Holiday and you know that this might be my last moment on earth, 
they're out there waiting to kill me right now. It angers you actually when you're standing in front of an audience and they stand up and clap for blood on the leaves, blood at the root, or they clap for black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, or they clap for the burning flesh and the twisted mouth and the bulging eyes. Why the would you clap for something like that? You know what I mean? Or be like, oh, it's so beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about that song. It was our very first protest song and it was a fight. And she was just singing a song, but it was a war. You know what I mean? It was like a war on lynching. It was a war on racial terror. And because they wanted to so hold so fast to this culture, not a fringe group, to a culture of racial terror in America, the song, as like when you protest, when Colin Kaepernick kneels and protests, you know, um, the unequal treatment of his brothers and sisters, he's protesting the flag in America, but he's protesting the way the treatment that, you know, and so that's the same thing with Billie Holiday was like, She's protesting lynching, racial terror. She's protesting racism. She's not protesting white people. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's right. the crazy part is, but that's the subtlety of that narrative and, and trying to continue to peddle fear and, and ignorance. You know what I mean? Is I don't know what it's like to get on stage and to say I might die after I sing this, but I felt that when I was on set, you know? How does this change things for you moving forward? Because again, this is your first role and it's such a powerful yeah. role that really embodies all the things you just talked about, but it's also a role that has garnered so much praise for you and attention. And it's put you in a very special conversation that a lot of actors don't get to, to be part of. So how does that change how you operate moving forward? Um, how does it change how I operate moving forward? You know, actually, it's so interesting that you just said, how does it change how I operate moving forward? Mm -hmm. I think what it does, the reality, you know, I'm going to actually read you literally a scripture that was in my devotion this morning or last night before I went to sleep. It says, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. It says, afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. And that really stuck out to me, went about the king's business. That doesn't change. I'm a very spiritual person and doing God's work here on earth is will always be my purpose and will always be my goal. And for people to encounter that great, great love that I've encountered in mm -hmm. a real way, not with these sort of clanging bell voices that you hear a lot in inhabiting the, the loudest part of the space. That doesn't change. I think he has just greatly increased my platform and my access and visibility. And so with that, I want to give that access to other people and underrepresented communities to more black people, to LGBTQ plus, to women, to people of color, Latinx, you know, just underrepresented stories to, to, to differently abled communities, you know, um, to say, okay, great. Let's have them tell their stories and let's make sure we're fully representing them in these spaces. So everything's the same. The access has just changed. You know what I mean? You know, you have lived Billie Holiday. That's part of why you're here right now and why you're being <laughs> cited the way that you are. You know her far better than probably anyone else walking on earth. What do you think Billie would think of this movie about her life um, garnering all of this attention and these nominations? I think, first of all, I think that she would be floored and I think she would be tearful, actually cussing us all out but still tearful while doing it <laughs> it would be like man you mother you mother it would be something along those lines you know but I think the reason is because she really believed that no one would ever know her story she thought she would die in obscurity matter of fact I think forget the story I think she'd be shocked to know the world still knew strange fruit and that she grew to be 
she was, she was hugely famous when she was alive here on earth, but that her legacy sustained, that people know her name now today, that alone. I think the truth of her story, the government going after her and her friends and people she loved and those she inspired on down to get them to stop, you know, supporting and unifying the community to know that that story was told, I think that would just destroy her in a great way. You know what I mean? Because she, I don't think she ever truly believed that anyone would know. That's why he mentions in the movie, because she really felt that that's what they want you to believe. You know what I mean? And so she thought the machine was just so big. I think the one thing she would say to us is don't stop. Look at what they did to Lester. Now open, tell the story of this person. Now tell the story of this person. Now tell the story of Ida B. Wells. Now tell the story of you know, I think she would tell us not to stop, you know what I mean? And to, to continue because this is what they did and this is what they do. And so I think she'd want us to continue on this path of enlightenment when it comes to our narratives, you know. Oh, my goodness. Andra Day. I love her voice. I love her acting. But I was scared of her and I was in it with her and I was sad and I was happy and I was like I couldn't get enough yeah there are going to be so many people who want to work with her as an mm-hmm. actor and she's already said that she's going back to work with Lee Daniels because she wants to tell more unsung stories you know a- mm-hmm. about her community and and this has kind of ignited a fire in her and I think it's kind of amazing when you think about this was a woman who not that long ago didn't know that she wanted to act. And now and now this is a space that that she's in. She's being awarded, you know, many awards in this community. She's being lauded as kind of the the next big thing and and I think we're mm-hmm. going to see so much more from her now. And then st- talking about storytelling and all of us were looking for representation in behind the camera too. And yeah. And you spoke with one of those storytellers. Yes, I spoke with Sophia Nali Allison who is up for uh a documentary short, and she did this really fantastic film, um, a love song for Latasha. Latasha Harlan was a young lady who was killed for a dollar seventy nine cents in in Los Angeles in the nineteen nineties. Um, a store owner thought that she was stealing a bottle of orange juice that she put into her backpack, and decided in that day that that her body, her life was of was not of value, was not worth that dollar seventy nine cents. And it's a story that, quite frankly has gone under the radar a little bit. It didn't register as loudly as, say, Rodney King, which would have come after that. Um, but it, but it's a story that played into something as big and monumental as the O.J. Simpson trial when we talk about like race and we dissect the role that race played in, into that trial. Latasha would always talk about when we got older, we could own businesses because every time we go into a store, they either following us, giving us dirty looks. I was about four years old in 92 when the riots happened and then three years old in 91 when Latasha was killed. I remember seeing things about Rodney King, but hardly anything about Latasha. And so I think this speaks deeply to the erasure that happens with young black girls, the erasure that happens with black women that decades later, I'm coming into my own understanding and learning about the true spark that started the uprising. You were able to tell Latasha's story without any archival footage surrounding Latasha's killing, which strays from how we often see these stories told. Yes, I think the number one thing is to stop exploiting Black death. 
the visual of it. You know, we don't need to see black bodies, lifeless black bodies to understand what happens. And I was really disturbed that her story was always in the context of her trauma, in the context of her murder, and I wanted her to exist beyond that. Um, and so in 2017, I found myself back in Los Angeles and really started to pursue this project. I was actually working at a production company and pitched this story to them because it was the 25 year anniversary of the LA uprising, but they actually turned the idea down. So that's when I made the decision, I need to quit my job. And I left and began a, a two year journey of excavating and reimagining who Latasha was. Yeah, you know, there, there's a real connective tissue there uh, this season for for the Academy Awards with both feature and, and in documentary space is that the people behind the camera all are black, you know, telling these very black stories, whether it be Billie Holiday or or Fred Hampton and, and so on. And that feels really important. What does getting the Academy Award nomination for this project in particular mean to you? Wow. You know what? There are many times, Kelly, where I just had to sit and really let it sink in because throughout the process of making this film, there were so many moments where I was fearful of myself being erased in the process and then not even being able to complete the work so that Latasha wasn't erased. And so to, you know, what is it, four years later, to have this recognition, it really touches me deep because it, it shows me that Lat there was never a moment where Latasha was going to be forgotten. There was never a moment where these stories and memories would be erased and I had to trust the process and it feels, um, all of the hard work pays off, you know, I was, it was such an independent project, such a community based, um, experience that I remember thinking all I want is for this archive to exist in South Central, to activate South Central for, for the community to have this memory. And so to have the, the Academy recognize it, it shows me that we are all coming to a deep collective understanding that we need to honor black women and black girls. We need to support us reclaiming our stories and our narratives, narratives and us having that agency. It just feels really good to see people behind the camera because we know in Hollywood, that's really where the real power is. Mm -hmm. films that were seen, you know, like Judas and the Black Messiah. And even with Chloe Zhao, you know, behind the scenes, it's it's a female director. It is um, a person of color who is pushing those stories to the forefront. And I think that's a great thing. And again, now if we speak more even to the Asian American story that's been unfortunately so front and center, to have Minari out there. I know, it is, it's so weird because everything felt like it was a response mm -hmm. to even like the last 12 months and in some cases the last 12 days, mm -hmm. you, you know, and and it's not the case. So what I think that communicates to me is that these stories keep recycling, mm -hmm. you know, the, the problems that are problems now have been problems last year, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and so on. And so there still is room to discuss in a cinematic space those same stories. That little boy in Minari, I keep thinking about him. He is just, <laughs> he's too much. <laughs> His little mischief. Um, well, thank you, Kelly. I hope this episode everyone enjoyed or at least sparked something in them to keep learning. Kelly Carter, cannot wait to have you back on GMA and hear more from you later in this very podcast. Absolutely. I can't wait to come back. <laughs> We're really hoping that you'll come back. 
we got a whole lot more in store in the future episodes. Next week, we're going to talk about the dissection of how Best Picture is chosen. So then when it comes time to vote for Best Picture, can you easily explain the preferential voting system? No. No. Wait, hold on. You're in the Academy. You consult on movies and you, you campaign for movies for a living. And That's right. And I can give you a try and I'm probably going to be wrong. We are, though, going to do our best to get to the bottom of it. Plus my conversation with the directors of one of this year's most moving love stories. A lot of people say an octopus is like an alien. But the strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realize that you're very similar in a lot of ways. We started with really quite a broad story, but as soon as we started cutting the story of the octopus, all of those other threads just started to fall away because mm-hmm. it was such a compelling story. You're going to hear all of that coming up on the next episode of Inside the Oscars. And if you liked this so far, please rate, review, and if you didn't, don't touch it. Anyway, thanks for listening. Inside the Oscars is a production of ABC Audio produced by Matt Wolf. Our executive producer, Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Josh Cohan, Trevor Hastings, John Green, Taryn Hartman, Beth Mullen, Carrie Strasberg, Elizabeth Russo, Hale Areno Thiel, and Stacia Dashishko. And a big shout out to ABC's entertainment booking team, Cleo Andriatis, Monica Escobedo, and Eric Jones. Our legal and standards partners, always keeping us right, Ian Rosenberg and Kimberly Brown. And thank you to the Academy. Ha, never thought I'd get to say that. I'm Ginger Z, and I'll see you next time.